Welcome to the Mega Blast Podcast, hosted by Montreal's Jason McDonald and brought to you by Arts and Opinion at www.artsandopinion.com. here with Tanya Maria. Welcome, Tanya. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So the purpose of this podcast is to discuss ideas of freedom and libertarianism, as well as how they relate to the political environment, both in Quebec and in Canada. It's going to be somewhat narrowly focused and political. It may not age well, but I wanted to get it onto the record. So why don't we start by you. You were telling me on the phone about this um, test and you sent me the test i didn't actually take it but that situates people in terms of their not left right but just how they feel about the role of the state versus the role of the individual maybe you could describe that oh the the political compass yes yeah yeah it's fun i stumbled upon that some years ago and it was uh it was just an interesting little exercise um uh to as well to as to get some of my friends to take it as well because it sort of turns upside down or did for me anyway, um, a lot of the assumptions that I had about the, the kind of people I get along with, right? And um, it, because of the way that they divide things up, so it's not just left wing, right wing, it's also, there are a lot of questions that determine if you're more authoritarian or libertarian. And that was like really eye-opening for me because it made sense finally, like how come my oldest friend is like, NDP voter, you know, like he's so left wing, like, and we've gotten along for mm. it's almost 30 years. How, why is that? Because I think he's, we meet in that libertarian space, you know, so, it's just like in his case, I think if you're more left wing libertarian, you maybe have more distress for big corporations and right, look at right. things that way. And if you're more right wing, I think you have more distress over government. But in general, we kind of just want to be left alone. And we agree on a lot of, uh, a lot of key things actually and I find that just really interesting and the last couple of years made that really clear for me I don't I don't think the debate really is left versus right anymore I really think it's authoritarian versus libertarian and I've had like the the arguments that I've had online with you know fellow so-called conservatives of just about the truckers like it was it was really fascinating to see that and that's playing out in the leadership race too right like yeah so is it so just to drill down a little bit there it's it's sort of about your values as to how you would view an individual facing systems of power yeah is that a fair way to characterize it yeah and some people would be more trusting of large you know institutional power structures you mentioned corporations and also governments um, just on a side note there, I've always been a little bit confused by people who get too exercised about corporations because unless corporations work with governments, they can't really force me to do anything. Right? Walmart can't force me to shop at their store. Right? That's true. Whereas the government can. In I mean, that's what a government technically is. It's a, it's a monopoly force. So I'm curious, do you know what your friend, your NDP friend would say to that? Just if you... If you if you were to say, well, you know, government can put me in prison, but Walmart can't, you know. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he just, it's it's one of those funny things. Like there, it's a, 
maybe even just a sensibility. I don't know if it's even ideological, right? right? Like it's, it's almost like an instinct that yeah. people sort of have of like who they mostly distrust. And like he listens to the CBC, he believes all kinds of funny stuff. We've had really funny conversations the last couple of years. Always very accepting, but frequently That's like great. not I, at all on the same page. I, I, I love hearing a story like that because, it, you know, I, I recently was mentioning these arguments online. I, I try very carefully to be as polite as I can be and never to be, if someone has an obviously different opinion from mine, I never use, I try not to use that. Um, and I confess that I don't always succeed. But recently, and I and I took pride for a long time with there's a film um, professor here in Montreal. You may know Matthew Hayes, Matt Hayes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, anyway, I, I sort of known him through circles of friends going back to the 1990s. I don't know him all that well, but we were friends online. He's very, very left wing. So, you know, we would sort of. He was always seemed to be. You know, he would sort of accuse me of being a right wing hater and everything and a conservative, and we would kind of argue a little bit. But I always thought it was respectful. And then one the other day, I noticed he blocked me. And I was like, what the, yeah, no. And, and I don't even know why. And so I was thinking, you know, this is... So anyway, I just wanted to say, I love hearing a story like that. Because I think, you know, I, I, I want to have these real conversations with people. And I don't want to exclude people from them. So I find it very disappointing when there's this sort of polarization. People don't even want to talk with the other side anymore. If you want oh, it's to. been so intense. The last couple of years have been so intense. The division is like outrageous, you know, and all of the demonizing of people who who aren't just jumping in, you know, on the yeah. bandwagon for whatever it was that. What's mandatory masks was I think that yeah. was like the first big yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so COVID nineteen seems to be something that man, really split people. You know, yeah, right? I thought Donald Trump was divisive yeah. among Canadian conservatives. <laughs> Don't go there. Don't bring him up. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. very right there. You really? can argue. Yeah. yeah. Islam. Immigration. Don't go there. Yeah. Don't talk about it. Because it's just so divisive and like it gets ugly. You find ugliness in people when you go down there. But I thought like that was bad, and there were like certain topics that I would just avoid. And then coronavirus ugliness, and then all of this, yeah. and yeah, because there's like, or there they sure did a good job of 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 appealing to, you know, Judeo Christian ethics and you know love of others and got we got to take who, care of each who, other. They the people the, who the people who locked the, us down, right, 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 okay, the pro lockdown that we right. had to. Right. And all of the measures, all of the mandates and everything, it was all like based on this. Your fellow man. You know, and yeah. if, you, if you disagree, yeah. you know, you're so, you're so selfish and you're so like, you know, there's something like very, very wrong. And they did that very quickly too, especially yeah. in, in, in Quebec, like it was intense. Yeah. Really. yeah. Well, and the media here too, like, you know, I saw, you saw, I saw that early on. All of a sudden, I would see words like freedom put in quotation marks. Yeah, oh, that's you weird. people with your freedom. Yeah, yeah. You know, how dare you talk about that? How dare you be concerned about that? You know, as, as though it's selfish in order to think about individual freedom, you're somehow placing yourself in such a way that you would not care that you're killing grandma or something like that. Right? There's always, that, yeah, that's yeah. always implied. Yeah, yeah I, I found this too with, um, a fa you know, because most of my family is more on the sort of pro-lockdown side of a lot of the, uh, my family members and I was having an argument with someone in my family some months ago and it was about the truckers actually and the person was saying you know freedom from what from what you know in this sort of exasperated tone 
And, and I said, do you want me to answer that question? <laughs> you know, like, I, I could. You know, like I could. I could go through a list of about 20 things if you want me to, you know. And so, and so it's kind of like, it really does get back to the thing you mentioned earlier about the concern about some people are just more comfortable with an authoritarian, a state coming in and, or, and ordering around in the name of security, right? Because the, the theory is that the government orders us and, you know, to wear masks or stay home and all that, and that makes us secure from the virus. And, you know, there's a very long discussion about whether it works or not is a separate thing, but that was the theory proposed, right? And some people were more comfortable with that than those of us on our side were less. So. Well, I mean, look yeah. at the difference. It's a difference in cultures too, eh? Like between Quebec and Alberta, right? Like, yeah. look at, you know, I mean, Kenny was a liar and I don't think he deserved to stay on. Like, good, he's down. I don't I don't have any mercy and sympathy for him because he lied to people and he, and he did put in a QR code and all that stuff. He just lied. But he had a far huger, like, libertarian base that was up his butt mm -hmm. for all of that the whole time and look at what happened to him as a consequence whereas here it's like you see the ultimate uh, uh, um, end I guess of a, of a nanny state where, where the majority of the population literally expects the government to keep them safe from death yeah. like it's in, yeah. that's insane the government yeah. cannot yeah. keep you it, from the risk of death yeah that you yeah. that you're gonna be awake tomorrow yeah. you know they can't it's it's totally actually it's insane like oh yeah. save us yeah from that, a that, cold that, that that's a really really interesting point that it's that's how i felt that we've sort of reached this point where you, you know they talk about i hate these terms but sort of the snowflake type stuff but just this idea that people are terrified of you know, people don't send their kids out to play in the streets and all this kind of stuff. So we, it's almost like we've got to this point where, you know, there's this flu that's somewhat dangerous. You can make a case it's dangerous, but it's not that dangerous, especially to young people. And it's like we, it became fairly clear. And yet you're right. There's this sort of panic about just and you're right. The government can't guarantee anything. To me or you, right? You know, in some senses. Uh, I just wanted to make a comment about Quebec and Alberta. Um, it seems like there's a division. Albertans tend to be very much more on the libertarian kind of self. Um, I don't know. They're less collectively oriented, let's say. Um, French Canadians in Quebec, I think, have a sense of community, communitarianism that's very, very deep. And it's not a bad thing it's in other respects. There can be a collective ideas that can be but Quebec and Alberta too also are very can be unified together politically and culturally by their view of the Canadian Federation yes right uh, this is an interesting thing compared to Ontario which is very much more people Ontarians tend to be more in favor of a centralized federal right I said is that what it is I, I've never I, I've, yeah. <laughs> you know our confederation really is like it's it's been it's been what they you know, what they call the Laurentian elites but you know like chunks of people Montreal in Toronto Ottawa, and, yeah. and in Ontario that treat every other province as a colony. Yeah. That's what it's all yeah. it's all been about, right? And and you have your resentments, you know. That go back on. seem to go back hundreds of years at this point. If you think about Western alienation, we've got Justin Trudeau, and now we've got this, uh, you know, this incarnation. But his father was also, you know, we could go back to the seventies and find people in Alberta who, for the taxes, for a long story there. But it, you know, 
Yeah, okay. Um, all right, so why don't we move to, that That sort of covers the values issues. Um, let's get into some of these things about the Conservative Party in particular. I, I should be clear to you and my listeners that I'm, uh, I've never been partisan towards any political party, federally or provincially, although I, I'm, I'm a, a federalist by, like I believe in the Canadian Federation, although I have a very strong Quebec orientation to my, my view of the country. But um, I come from a very sort of left-leaning background, and, you know, my family was, my, my parents were old-school left-leaning hippie types, and they loved uh, René Lévesque and uh, Pierre, Pierre Trudeau, you know. Um, and so my personal values have split over the past, say, 10 years into me being less, you know, as you were describing earlier, the libertarian and them being more on the sort of state orientation. But I've never been comfortable with calling myself a conservative so I just wanted to let you know that before we got into discussing the political aspects. But um, the Conservative Party of Canada, what is its role at this point, do you think? You I mean, tell me. Yeah. They're, they're figuring it out now, <laughs> I think. I mean, you're I mean more, this leadership yeah. race is going to tell you a lot. So you think, think it depends who the... Absolutely. Who the yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Because uh, it's really continuing... An argument, I guess, that started after Harper quit. Like he was able to, he built this coalition, right? Um, what what coalition do you mean exactly? Um, from let's say, uh, you'd have your fiscal conservatives, your libertarians, your red Tories, and your social conservatives. Let's right, say, right, right. And among very the different, social yeah. conservatives, let's say, you put the gun lobby kind of in there, but not really. Hmm. But you know. Um, he he managed, you know, west and east, and he managed to to pull it off and govern yeah. for nine years, and then he quit, and all of a sudden, <laughs> there's like all of these fractures, right, and that were never really healed. Um, a, a big part of it being what happened with uh, Sheer and and Bernier, and Sheer winning by such a small number, and Bernier quitting, and. Um, you know, he was really within the the new iteration, like Harper's Conservative Party was, I think, the strongest voice for libertarian ideas mm. in a generation within a political, yeah. like a mainstream political party. I do think so, and that really hurt. And it's interesting. I mean, now there there was a poll. I forget who it was not too long ago that suggested that if Kualiev were to win the leadership, he would get a lot of votes back from mm. the PPC. In Bernie, there's a lot of people that would vote. That makes maybe, sense. Not, maybe not rejoy, but would vote. Who would vote? Yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. That I mean, it sounds like when I hear Poliev talking, it's very much, you know, I mean, I don't know how much he's actually almost cutting and pasting, but I don't mean that as an insult to him. I think it's good, but just that makes sense to me, basically. But this, this, this is interesting what you're saying. So the, the, the Harper's Conservative Party was a kind of a coalition of different. Um, you know, I suppose you had Albertan kind of, you could call them very conservative type religious people. And then people in Quebec who are sort of center right, but not religious. And mm -hmm. then you've got, um, I, I read when he was elected that um, he, that the, the conservative party went around in the 
the suburbs of Toronto to ethnic voters, like, you know, Indians and Chinese and knocked on doors and just very quietly did this, right? It's almost stealth move, you know. Do you know what the Liberal Party wants to do with this social issue, you know, like transgender, blah, 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 and they go, really, you know? Because it's the Liberal Party seems to have a kind of, not a monopoly, but they're associated with pro-immigration, which, you know, maybe they're, maybe they are a little more pro-immigration. They tend to be, so I think it's almost like a sense of like, immigrants get the sense, well, you know, I came to this country, I should be thankful, I, you know, I should return that in some way. Who should I thank, let's say, when I'm voting? And I don't think that means that, I'm not suggesting at all that immigrants are stupid or anything, but people look around for signals, right? And, uh, but anyway, it was a very interesting move that he did. Yeah, it sure was. There was a book that was published um, about a, a year or two before the 2016 election called The Big Shift with John Ibbotson. <clears throat> and the central thesis is that the 21st century belonged to the Conservative Party, interestingly. And the, and he argued that it was it was because of the kind of immigration that we have seen in Canada, uh, including you know South Asians and Chinese, who tend to be actually more naturally conservative. conservative. Yeah. And if you have a party that's that's reaching out actively um, to on, these on people, these social issues, that, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, you know that's how you can ultimately get your your yeah. your, your urban uh, areas and and get votes there. And it was very interesting. And then after Trudeau won, um, you know, he was kind of teased about that. Like, man, you got that wrong, eh? But the thing is, is that his whole theory depended on the left uh, remaining splintered, like with liberal and NDP. Right. Yeah. And he said the only way that, that that the 20th century doesn't belong to the Conservative Party is if the left can unite. Unified together. And weirdly, Trudeau kind of did that by veering so far to the left from well, and his now first a, campaign on. Uh, that, that, you know, with the NDP is totally irrelevant, right? Well, like, they've well, been, I mean, no, there's a de facto coalition yeah. in some sense. How irrelevant are the NDP in the sense that they seem to have a voice, right? I don't understand this coalition. Do they? It's weird. I, it's just weird. Like, why? Like, because the obvious reason to ask, why would Jagmeet Singh join if he didn't have some sort of quid pro, pro quo there? Yeah, he must have gotten something. It, isn't he get, I don't follow these things all that closely, something. but I'm guessing there's something. I mean, they're talking now about... Well, what he gets is he doesn't have to run an election because they don't have any money. Right. And they would lose. <laughs> There's no need right. for the end. They would lose. They would yeah. lose more MPs. They don't have the money. They don't have the volunteers. Like, so it's, it's, totally it's almost like kicking the can down the road for them. Is, but they need yeah. to, some of them need to be there long enough to get their pensions. Don't forget that part. Interesting. Yeah, no, that's something I hadn't thought of. I, I thought there were these moves towards uh, sort of a, a federal de dental thing or something like yeah, this. Yeah, they want a dad and right. daycare. And the yeah. national daycare already seems to be... Uh, problematic in Ontario there's really? a lot of yeah because yeah. you can you don't have to opt in so apparently a lot of daycare operators are just aren't sure what to do they okay. should just stay on their own and it's probably going to be a mess yeah yeah well they, it's that's in interesting um those, those are I, I just thought they were sort of things where they wouldn't necessarily have done them if they were not the liberals would not have done that without some sort of um you know 
input from the NDP, but I could be wrong yeah, about that. Yeah, that's probably, I, you know, I mean, that's probably part of the deal, is yeah, adopting that, yeah. that particular policy, sure. So we've got a de facto, uh, uh, you know, um, it's a de facto majority government right now, in some senses, right? Yeah, so and who yeah. would have seen any of this? Like, who <laughs> could have foreseen any of this a few years ago? Well, I kind of did. Because that's it? Yeah. the day after Justin Trudeau won in 2015, I bought my first membership to the conservative. Oh, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I and I just started volunteering like crazy. So I kind of saw it coming. But like who could have pictured all of these details? Pretty incredible. Emergency yeah. Emergency Measures Act and all of this craziness. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, why don't we stick on that? I was going to talk about that later, but oh. just the, the thing with Trudeau, you know, I, I don't want this to turn into kind of like a fuck Trudeau thing because I like, I mean, as much as I dis, first of all, I don't dislike him personally. He's, we're sitting in his riding right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's one thing. I've been, I, I, you know, I lived in Park Extension, which is also in his riding. We're in the same shed right now, but um, I've met him a couple of times, you know, just, he was around, you know, one time many years ago, he was out, this is Ignatieff was the least, oh, yeah. long ago it was, and he came into a pizza parlor that I was, it was a very hot day, and, and he's a very sort of congenial person, you know, he's very, like, he's, um, he's just, you know, if you meet him in person, he's, a, like, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't imagine, I don't think he's a bad person is what I'm trying to say. He may not be, he, he probably is not that qualified to be doing this job, I think is one way. He, you know, Jordan Peterson has famously talked about how just him running to become, uh, it was a narcissistic act because he, Right, you know, yeah. he never would have gotten really anywhere near it if he hadn't had the Trudeau name. So, For sure. So there's that, but um, we can criticize some of his actions uh, clearly without it becoming, you know. So what what do you think? Like just in terms of the more recent things, how can we think about what happened this year with with him and the Emergencies Act and all that stuff? Do, do you know what? Could, it's a few months on. Well, I think I think they they did a good job of taking advantage of a crisis <laughs> that they created. I mean, yeah. it could have just gone out to meet them. Yeah, yeah. Or That's you know, whatever. Pick pick a couple of leaders and talk to them and say, okay, you know, we understand your concerns. Actually, like, yeah. how different might it have been? <laughs> you know, it's a great point. I mean, let's say, let's say just try and play that thought experiment. Let's say because would that have been possible in a realistic sense if if Trudeau had said, you know, maybe I was wrong? Like if he had just apologized for calling them deplorables, right? There's the famous thing where he, you know, said they're misogynist and racist. And, you know, it was insane. It was completely yeah. You know, it's so weird. It was weird. It's it could... just a bunch of people who lost their jobs, man. Yeah. They got nothing left to lose. Yeah. And they organized. It was like really loosely organized, too. The fact that there's still people in jail is outrageous. They're still in jail? Yeah, Pat King and this other guy, uh, George. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. It's interesting. Crazy. What about the woman who was sent out back to Alberta and couldn't return to Ontario or something? What was her name? Yeah, Tamara Lynch. Tamara Lynch. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Like, She's made sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. We treat people really well. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I mean, she seemed to be under some sort of very strict condition. It's funky. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. 
So but what, that's because she's the one I think who was organizing the uh, the fundraiser, right? The, the GoFundMe. Yeah, that so was, we got to her because of that. They, I don't think anybody expected them to raise as much money as they did, and like you know, the really like the lying really just started with lying. that. What do you, you know, mean? the lying that the government has mm -hmm. consistently done about the truckers and who they were. Mm -hmm. You know, they it it it's been it's been studied. Like we know who donated, and it was mostly Canadians, and they're trying was to say it? it was, was Russians it? Yeah. initially. Yeah, first they said the Russians, then they said Americans. Uh, like these, the, the, the accusation was there were these big CPACs and that, and it was interesting because the, the, the insinuation was somehow that there were these right wing American, you know, Bible thumping people who wanted, you know, to pervert the Canadian democratic structure. And then the question, why would people in Tennessee care? Like it, yeah. it, it didn't even make any sense in terms yeah. of an accusation, right? Yeah. Um, now the Russians and the Chinese are a little bit of a different thing, especially the Chinese. If you're gonna think about a foreign threat, you know. Um, but you're saying that that's not even true. That most of the donations actually came from Canadians. Is that for the, that first one? Yeah, and then if, as you recall, that was shut down, and then people they they found a different um, uh, give send go. They found a different. Yeah. Um, what you might call it like thing, a way of the thing. getting money together, that yeah, thing. fundraising. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, yeah, um, and then yeah, after that, it had just exploded into something else. So who knows who donated at that point? Because it became, it, you know, Canada was getting international headlines. The truckers were like there were copycat movements all around the world, Netherlands, too, right? Australia, like, yeah. and everything. Yeah, that's something I wanted to talk to you about. That's something that struck me as a very interesting thing about this that particular protest was that it fit in a long in an international line of so-called populist movements first you had trump you mentioned trump and then there was brexit or brexit or trump whichever came first i think it was brexit actually but but there was a long time when you read international media you know up until right before up until last year um where there was this presentation the sort of puff pieces glorifying how Canada's avoided the populist, you know, wave all over the world. And there were a number of these articles going around with Justin Trudeau and everything. And when I was reading those articles, I was sort of thinking to myself, do these people know how he barely won the last two elections and he got fewer votes than the other guy? Like both like maybe they don't know those details. Do they understand how tenuous he has a terrible electoral record. That was the yeah. first thing that struck me. But the other thing that struck me was um, I, I kept thinking to myself, there's something wrong with that analysis. There's something boiling in Canada that's not being captured by the CBC. They're not seeing it because they don't want to, right? And then it kind of blew up with the truckers. I don't know if you have any thoughts sure on that. They sure didn't yeah. see it coming. Like <laughs> yeah. there was the first con So somebody like myself uh, has a, like, just because of the way that I built up my, my Facebook account in particular was really initially just to actually promote a page for our writing association. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then I realized, nice. oh, I can't, because I hated it. But I realized you have to do it. Like, you actually have to have to post, and you your account has to be active so that you can invite people to like your page. It's initially all I was doing. So I joined a bunch of conservative Canadian groups here and there, and I started sending out friend requests to people who seemed vaguely intelligent, kind of okay. thinking like me. And that's why I have like a, a weird uh, friend list, I think, Interesting. Um, yeah. with people from across the country. And it so happened, a bunch of truckers. 
Okay. Like it just so happened, right? So I was like wow. starting to get, oh, look at this. They're going to organize a convoy. Cool. How cool is that? Okay. And then you wow. saw the first trucks coming from from BC and people just sent me stuff a messenger here, like live stream this, that, and the other. And I saw it coming. So I knew it was coming. And like the very first convoy was, I don't think it was CBC. I think it was CTV. I forget exactly, but they were literally saying like these are truckers protesting road conditions in Vancouver. Like they, they, they totally misreported that initial convey coming out of out of so, see do you know why choke. were they just they didn't they, know they were they, just they had no idea no idea what was so, coming yeah, for them you know? and then you know i i think once they did realize what was coming um they tried their best to ignore it until they no longer could and then it was right in their face yeah. and who would have thought it would last as long as it did who would have thought it would be so peaceful and also Actually, inspire movements around the world. Uh, uh, yeah. And yeah. like, and interestingly yeah. that it coincided with, you know, a continued lockdown in Quebec. So that at one point on weekends in Ottawa, about a, a good third of the people there were Montreal youth who were bored out of their skull and going to Ottawa to party. <laughs> okay. Wow. Like, Interesting. People don't realize that. There's a reverse. It wasn't all truckers. No, but that, that's like, a flip from Hey, people. let's go to the party. <laughs> No, but people going from Montreal to Ottawa to party is a strange concept, right? You know what I mean? It's like, what? That's not how it's supposed to be. Something weird going on there. That's real. I didn't know that. I, that's, that's very interesting how plugged in you were because it, I, I sort of heard about it and I was kind of, I, the mainstream media, it, the mainstream media stuff I was seeing seemed to be very like, oh, there's this little thing, and they're gonna, you know, it's you know, twenty guys or whatever. But I had some people like you and others who were posting these things, going, you know, one person I know in Toronto, she put up this thing about how it was like as she was just asking. I've heard it's as long as Manitoba is wide. She was like, is that true? Like, if it's so, that's you know, obviously broken into pieces. So it was kind of like conflicting information, and then once it actually converged in Ottawa, it became obvious that it really was a thing, right? Yes. Yeah. But I didn't see that coming. I didn't know that, you know. Uh, although, it, it, to be perfectly honest, it did not surprise me because, as I was saying a minute ago, there was this, I had this sense that there was something underneath the surface in this country that people, there was a populist. And, you know, the people talk about the, U.S. They talk about the deep state, which is really a term for the administrative state, which is to say the thousands of bureaucrats in the Washington area who kind of run things. In Canada, it is so much bigger by in relation to size. I mean, we have an enormous administrative state mm -hmm. for for our, you know both federally and in Quebec City as well, mm -hmm. and many of them are, you know, they they make a kind of a bet which party is more likely to be friendly to our interests. And mm -hmm. it's the it's the big red machine, right? I did a content analysis once from 1900 to 2000. The Liberal Party was in power for 70 of those 100 years. I did the same content analysis, uh, Democrat, Republican, it was 48 to 52. So it's almost basically exactly equal. That tells me that the Liberal Party has been the dominant party and that the Conservative Party is sort of the one that you know, when the liberals need to time out, when they, you know, when they've been too corrupt and they go sit in the corner, then, you know, <laughs> right, you know. So to, I just wondered, does that affect anything current? Do you think that this is going to be a temporary thing, you know, that, like, what's, what, do you have any predictions would be another way 
you know. No, for, I really yeah. can't say right now until we know who the leader is of the CBC. Right, right, you know, yeah. it's be able uh, to say, yeah. and and you know, it looks like it would be Poiliev, but don't you know? You, you never know. You never know who who bought all those memberships. You know, you mean for uh, for the, the yeah for most recently, like it's a record breaking number of memberships. So so the Poliev team is is claiming they sold three hundred eleven thousand or whatever out of six hundred thousand. So who bought the rest? And how's how, that how, play how, okay. out? It's a red well, look, ballot. You never. I think if he doesn't take it on the on the first ballot with a good you know good percentage and a, and a healthy victory, then it won't be uh, clear. You never know. But, I don't think it would be Charest. I'm more worried about yeah. Brown. Okay, well, let's get some of the numbers up because I read there was three hundred and some odd thousand Poliev was able to, and how many total were sold? It's six hundred something. Okay, so he, about half of them. Okay. Yeah, that's what that's okay. what they're saying. And I think we'll really only know in July or something like that because they have to they have to go through all of these memberships now. What do they have to do own. exactly? Do they they have to like they have to make sure they're make they're sure legitimate? The check doesn't bounce, or right? Right. <laughs> but yeah. no, I mean, uh, I think yeah, they have to they have to make sure it's real people. And then anyhow, even when, once uh, people get their ballots, they still have to send them back with uh, photo ID and whatever. So like, there's, really? there's a whole process to okay. make sure that the new voters are legit. Uh, but right now, I think, yeah, I think they're just, they're just processing everything. They got Yeah, I mean, I mentioned to you uh, before we went live, when we were on the phone last week, that some member, members of my family were joining there was uh, i noticed uh, some people in my family who are totally against them you know Poliev is hitler basically is their thesis so they need to join the party to vote against him and this seems to be a thing so i don't know even how to situate when i saw that when i saw that going around on social media that there are people joining the party to vote against i, I kind of just had this weird almost like a moral instinct of there's something wrong with that even though i can't place why because in yeah. a purely sort of just real politic kind of a sense what you know i mean i could you know someone could do it the other way you know there's a leadership race in the ndp and there's some person you don't want to win you could join but there's something i i, I can't believe it seems thing. wrong it does seem wrong yeah do. i've never done that I, never it, done it wouldn't that. even occur to me because I, I just couldn't, I, I would never look at any of the candidates and think that they're Hitler, right? And of any political party. I don't see anything like that. That's part of, I think, one of the differences, I think. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm, you know, well, what's interesting is it, it, it made me join. I've never joined a political party. So I was like, you know, screw you. Okay, I'll, you know, <laughs> I'll join and I'll vote against your vote kind of thing. So I guess we'll see when that happens. Um, okay, well, why don't we move to the Conservative Party of Quebec? Okay. Uh, this is an interesting thing. You've been sending me some really interesting stuff. There's uh, Eric Zuem, the leader. Um, can you talk a little bit about the history? It's a relatively recently reformed party. I mean, is it? Yeah. Know? So, so the Conservative Party of Quebec uh, was formed um, from the remnants of the. 80Q. So there was the 80Q, you remember? Action Democratique. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and it was kind of center-right. He's such a joke now. Boy, see, talk about what authoritarian does to a human soul. Like, he's gross. Yucky, gross, gross. Isn't he, like, he, isn't he a, a writer for a newspaper and has a television yeah. thing or something? So, but I, I haven't been following him. I, I can't I, watch. Anyway, 
Yeah. yeah. But can you Some just describe what you're just But anyhow, but okay. yeah, so, yeah, so ADQ, so basically <clears throat> there were, majority of ADQ members agreed to form the CAC. Okay. And then there was like a right. sort of a rump left of the oh, original membership that said, no, we don't want to be doing this. We want to be conservative. <laughs> and so right. and so right. the new conservative party of Quebec was formed I forget the year but it was very small and like when I so so I joined the conservative party of Canada and then um, after a couple of years you know of volunteering just realized that there are really not very many conservative voters on the island of Montreal are there so so it became my goal after that to try to to reestablish a conservative grassroots in Montreal and you because there's there aren't enough volunteers so you kind of have to overlap you have to cross-pollinate so I volunteered uh, to elect conservatives federally provincially right. and municipally most recently right trying it's right. really and you really you're you're banging your head against a red brick wall <laughs> in this city you really are but yeah so I figured that was red the only way to go wall. it was yeah. the only way to go and so in 2018, because there was a provincial election coming up, um, I, I joined the, the PCQ and I got to know a lot of cool people. And there were there was some overlap with like some Federalist friends here in the yeah. island. But like I, what it was at the time, and with all due respect uh, to the fine people in that very small party, but it was like a libertarian debating club. Right. Kind of. right. Like it was right. Fun, some interesting policies, especially like, but it's welfare. never going to go they anywhere. Wanted to, they wanted right. to pay welfare recipients with Bitcoin and oh, wow. kinds of neato wow. <laughs> stuff that wasn't going to, there's like, something I never would have thought of. Anywhere. Yeah. So, okay. so, but, uh, but like really fine people, but it was just like very, very small and, and, and not, not going, going anywhere. anywhere. So yeah. the goal in yeah. 2018 really was to try to run uh, candidates in as many ridings as possible. Like the goal was 125, yeah. um, and and to try to get the uh, the, the vote uh, subsidy because in Quebec you right. still have a subsidy right. for vote, okay. and they did very well and brought like a bunch of money into the coffers. And then, uh, you know, so that was like kind of exciting. Didn't elect anybody, but like there was, there was some movement, movement, movement yeah. and uh, the leader did fairly well. Adrien Pouliot, he did, uh, he, you know, he, I remember listening to him on CJD and thinking, you know, his English was really good and he was reaching out to people and it's all very nice, but like they didn't elect anybody anyway. And then the lockdowns right. and then right. just so happens Eric Duhame steps forward and says, okay, I'll run this show. And like, who would have expected any of this to happen? Like yeah. the, the number of uh, members is, is insane. Like I think they've surpassed the CAC and in fundraising too. Is that like, right? Yeah. Okay. There's people joining, like, and people going out to mm. see him. He's, 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 you know, drawing crowds and like, there's so much enthusiasm for this. So there yeah. must be some kind of appetite for Liberty in this province after all. And he's so that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, no, I because you, yeah, I, I was first asked about him by a former student of mine who's a friend of mine who, um, he, he is kind of a libertarian type, you know, younger guy. Um, and he asked me about, uh, what do you think of Jim? And I was, I kind of was like, who's that? Like, I, you know, I just, and then I went and looked him up. Oh, that still looks sort of good. This is a couple months ago, and then you mentioned him. So, there might be something there. I, I asked you this on the phone. I don't know whether you want to talk about it. how much do we know. It looks how much of it is real. How much of it is just us with our 
you know, echo chamber, <laughs> right? I mean, because, you know, Christian Gravener was saying that you said that, that maybe there'd be seats elected in, the, in this coming election. There's hope. They were, they're yeah. polling second around Quebec. Like it's a, polling second? Hope. Yeah. Polling second? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Wow. Interesting. Boy, yeah. that's... You never know, man. So you what is it? So, so what is it? Is it, is it Bill 96? Because I wanted to get to that, but is that is that what it is? Well, I think that... Bill ninety six is the reason why Duhame is is getting attention in Montreal, but uh, right. that's not the reason why it's he's pulling second around Quebec City. Lockdowns, like I think, yeah, lockdowns. definitely, yeah. I think so. So the so. lockdown. So this is interesting. So the lockdown. Maybe François Legault and Justin Trudeau overstretched themselves on that. They pushed too far, and this is maybe we're going to see a reaction. I think like. that's what we're looking at. Yeah. yeah, but it, but I mean, I have I actually have more hope for Duhame uh, than I than I do for Poiliev because I think federally the mess, like the debt and everything, I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to win that. Would you want to win that? You want to take over from Justin Trudeau and fix this horrific yeah. mess? God, the, like, the debt. would you want that? Yeah, that's you a know? terrifying job. I I don't. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I never thought of it like that. Would I want to do that job? Yeah, I mean, it, it looks like, I mean, this is, it's hard to explain to people outside of Quebec the, the, the relationship. The Liberal Party has a specific role, which is basically, if you vote for the other guy, we're going to end up in a new country, right? That's been their pitch for 50 years. And then the CAC actually broke that in 2018, interestingly. They, for mm -hmm. the first time in 50 years, a party other than the Parti Québécois um, yeah, I mean, my impression when he, he he's trying to chart a middle ground on Bill 96, he's trying to chart something where, you know, it's it going down the middle aiming at centrist voters, really, because I think the Bill 96 is a somewhat of an extreme law, if I understand it correctly. I don't know if you want to talk about that. Your personal views on that? The well, it's going to give it's going to give OQLF officers more search and seizure powers than cops do with the warrant. Th like that, there, there's, yeah. it's it's crazy. I don't know how many articles of the of our Charter of Rights does it violate? Does, does it violate yeah. twenty eight or something insane yeah. like this that they have to pre use the notwithstanding clause to 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 get to get, this to get it through i mean anybody you know like i don't think duhame has a choice other than to attack bill 96 mm. but if only on grounds of individual liberty because he wouldn't right. be logically right. consistent if he screamed about you know the government having power to tell you who you can have in your home versus the government being well, able to come see. into a business yeah. and seize your phone and your computer. So if you're in favor of freedom, you have to be in favor you of freedom. Should, yeah, I think right. so. Right. I, I, yeah. I don't think That's you can do otherwise. Because I have to say, like, the, the 96 thing I've tried to avoid, because there's so many people in our community who are sort of just, they would get up in arms about anything the CAQ would do about language. So I'm kind of keeping my distance. Because some of the things I read about, I read that, you know, the, the, the Bill 96 is going to, make it that in the English language colleges, this is a stepping stone between secondary school and university unique to the province of Quebec. You go there from about 17 to 19. I'm a professor in one of them. But in the English language one, you would do, I think, three courses other than your French courses. So you would do, you would choose, say, biology or history. You do them in French out of a two or a three-year program. So out of, you know, 
100 courses you're going to take or something. And I kind of looked at that and I thought, you know, people are freaking out about this and how, you know, and, and I heard yesterday from a friend that, well, a lot of people are going to fail. And I, and I thought to myself, if you can grow up in Quebec in the 21st century and not speak French well enough to be able to do a course in French and just get 60, pass it, then there's something wrong with the education system. But there is something yeah. wrong with the education yeah, right. system. <laughs> you know? We have the highest high school dropout rate in the country right. among Francophones. Yeah. They're not even teaching French well to their own yeah. people, yeah. <laughs> let alone in, in, in the English school boards. I mean, I've got a kid in the English school really? board, and I yeah. thought, yeah, I heard high praise, and I, she's not really pronouncing things very well. Right, right, know? yeah. Like, well, <laughs> we're counting on the school to teach the kid French, and I, I yeah. So how good far, is, you have a daughter, how good yeah. is her French, do you think? Do you think she would be able to pass one of those classes, for example, if she went to Dawson and did history and or something? Or well, biology? that's what the school is promising. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, is it immersion? Know, eventually, yeah. It's immersion. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But, uh, yeah. but no, I mean, she, last year, her, for example, her, her math mark was quite low when we realized it's because it's taught that subject that year was taught in French and they oh, were doing word problems and stuff and the teacher wasn't translating the word problems. My kid is really good in math, mm -hmm. but her mark went down because she was yeah. struggling with the French. So I don't know what to say. Like I need the school for that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so far, not, not really sure that the kids are actually adequately prepared. That, that's a, that's a problem. You see that that's the real root problem that the people are not talking about, right? That there's a problem with the education system at the lower levels. As to the dropout rates, it is true that Quebec has a very, very high dropout. I think it's the highest in North America, which is somewhat surprising because you finish school when you're 16. So that, when people drop out, yeah, which is yeah. kind of weird. But, um, but it also has a very high drop-in rate because of the system of CEGEPs is a... When you go to CEGEP, you're in... You know, it's like a college, so you have class once a week. You have like, you know, this class you do once a week, and then it's more like a university. So that means that students can drop out of secondary school and go work at a gas station, and then go, oh, I need an education. They go back, and that, and mm -hmm. I see this as an educator. I mean, my classes have some of them are seventeen, some are twenty-five, yeah. some I have even some immigrants who are like in their forties, which is a really cool thing. And so, education, I don't think is that bad. In, like I think it could be a lot worse. It right? could be. It could be worse. But I mean, yeah. just in terms of the way the language, language. is being taught, yeah. they're failing to yeah. teach the language. And my husband is a great example of that. Like he, you know, he's got his two French Canadian grandfathers. He was born in Montreal, but like his dad got a job for Ontario Hydro, and when he was small, they moved to Ontario, and he he didn't Lost really, you know, yeah. And uh, and then coming back uh, to Montreal with all of his French cousins and all that, that he, you know, he really, he was in his teens and he had, he really struggled yeah. a lot because he didn't have the language. And there's zero, there's nothing for him. Like all, I've seen him try, you know, so much like self-improvement and like the amount of money that he spent on language courses. Interesting. And they do yeah. not, they, they, there's nothing for people who were born in Canada, but like, you know. Yeah, Here I'm talking. I'm, I'm bringing up a divisive subject, but no, no, you go can ahead. walk across <laughs> the border into Quebec, and and you know through that that famous uh, crossing there. Oh you, yeah, you know, 
And, Th- that's and that's a get, reference to hey, it, you'll get you'll get they they will get French lessons. But if yeah. you're born here yeah. and you're struggling a bit and you want you want to improve your spoken or written French, you have to pay out of pocket and you and like it's totally inconsistent. And well, you have to be on welfare. You have to, to be get, on to, to get to, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because years ago I uh, um, I I remember going and asking them because uh, my French is very fluent now, but. Like 30 years ago, it wasn't, and I, and I wanted to improve it. And I went to them at one of these francisation places and said, I'd like to join. They said, are you on welfare? And I said, no. So they said, are you, a, are you a recent immigrant? I said, no. They said, well, you can't, you know, do it. So I went and got welfare, which seems like a weird To take for Yeah, yeah. Because wow. I wanted to. Yeah. I was young, and I, I, wasn't, I wasn't doing much with my life anyway. I was kind of, you know. I had just finished university and I was kind of, you know, drifting around. So I thought, like, yeah, so I thought I might as well, you know, yeah, jump on welfare. (laughs) But I mean, it just, it's, yeah, I mean, I I don't know that that, you know, there's, I've thought a lot about this from a libertarian perspective. You know, we, we, the way we do it now, um, immigrants come in and they, they don't pay, those courses are effectively free. You pay a very nominal fee. Also for English, my wife doesn't speak English and she wants to go over here to the John Kennedy School in St. Michel to do okay. English. And they have the equivalent thing. And we went over there to enroll her and they had like full on, four days a week, four hours a night of instruction. That's really intent- intensive. A hundred bucks for the whole session. Wow. Which is what she paid in park extension at William Hingston to do the French originally which is you know and in theory i could go and do that i could just go you know if or you could not that we would need it but a person a canadian could you have to be a citizen but um just back to the bill 96 the, the most the, but so those things about you know people taking uh, you know going into sejap and having to do courses in french I, i'm not so sure i'm totally opposed to those just from a perspective of you know if i take the view that a, a quebecer you know, like if we, we all can be proud to be Quebecers, and one of the things we should be proud of is the French language. Like, you know, it's something that defines us and everything. Even if you're an Anglophone, right? <laughs> right? I mean, if you're an Anglophone, you should be able to speak it well. And also, you, sh- in my view, it should be something where you can say, you know what? Quebec is cool because of that. And I know I'm really, you know, and, um, and so that sort of fits in with that. But the things you mentioned about the searching and seizure, just to be clear, listeners understand what that means. That means that if a person is working for a you know a company, and they're they feel that they're let's say they think there's something going on in the company that's against the language policies, maybe the internal emails or something are being conducted in in a language other than French. If it's more than fifty employees or something, twenty five now. Twenty five. So they've lowered it. Okay, interesting. They can go and make what I believe is an anonymous complaint. They don't even have to reveal their identity, and they can just name the company, and then the police, or the not the police, the Office de la Langue Française, or Office Québécois de la Langue Française, I think is the technical mm-hmm. name now. They can come to the company and seize things like that have the documents in question without any probable cause or search warrants. Do I have that right? Essentially. Is that, yeah. That, to me, is... All of my sympathy for, you know, for nationalists and Quebec and everything is just completely washed away by that one thing. I would, I could not be in favor of that law. Yeah. Under that. It's just, that's utterly, it, it's, it's just so beyond the pale yeah. in terms of individual freedoms. There's no way I could support it. 
And then there's the healthcare stuff. Like the whole, yeah. can we, so this is the funny thing. So I take care of my mom. She's 87. She's an immigrant. And because she was a stay at home mom, it just so happened that she never really learned French well. Okay. Um, That's the era now, she came here, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. She yeah, came here some time ago, like, back yeah, yeah. in the 50s when English dominated. Yeah, so people learned English, right? And you know, my yeah. father's French was gorgeous. My father was trilingual. He spoke at one point his French was better than his English because he worked, in, you know. Interesting. Anyway, yeah. um, so, but be, she didn't go to school here, so she doesn't have her English what eligibility. Country, what country did she immigrate? Uh, both of my parents were born in Germany. Germany, okay, yeah. interesting, okay. Yeah. So she spoke German, obviously, and she immigrated here, and she learned English more than... She came here right? as a nanny, uh, yeah. and yeah. she, because she liked reading, she joined the Doubleday Book Club. <laughs> she taught herself English by reading nice. novels and stuff like that. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, but, uh, so but she, anyway, so so she doesn't have, she wasn't educated here, she doesn't, she's not a historic Anglophone, yeah, right. even though she's been a Quebecer for like... 65 years or yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. but she's not a historic anglophone but i am so how because you went to school that? because you went to school in english yeah. right yeah. exactly yeah. in canada yeah, yeah. so how bizarre is that that occasionally you know i might have a telemedicine appointment with her doctor and i've just been trying to picture this because my mom has dementia so like i you know it's really me talking to the doctor, right? In the last couple of years with COVID and everything, it's been phone calls. Like, so I'm trying to picture, like, if we were to follow the letter of the law, my mother is the patient, the doctor should be speaking in French. Mm -hmm. But you're... And, but, uh, like, I'm the kid. Like, do one. I have to, you know, am I supposed to fax her my high school, you know, like my... my do you know? Have my, you inquired my degrees, into this? My diplomas? To show that you actually... To be have, allowed to have... No, I haven't inquired yeah. into it because it's insane. Interesting. It's insane. Yeah, yeah so just, just, so we, just so we try and explain this to anyone listening, as I understand the law, a person who goes to a doctor and wants to get the service from that doctor in, in a language other than French, in English, I believe, specifically, right? Because it wouldn't be another language, um, like Spanish or something, it would be English. You have to be, I mean, historic Anglophone is a polite way of saying de souche, right? So yeah. basically, means a, more or less, it's a person who was educated in English in Canada, so they have some sort of historic link to the anglophone community let's say so if a person came like um, a friend of mine has a friend whose girl his wife girlfriend is from japan and this is an anglophone and they live in or someplace and they speak english together and she doesn't speak french so she i'm presuming if she went to the doctor she would be refused in, under this right well, is that how or like the uh, doctors are and the nurses and everybody is just expected to only speak in French unless this is where you start to wonder, like, you're, what if you're in an emer emergency? Are they really going to be asking for your papieren, bitte, your papers in emergency yeah. to prove that? And it's your health. Yeah. And, like, when you, when you wind up in a hospital, I mean, like, you tend to be in a crisis situation. I don't know about you, but I, t I tend to go back to my first language, eh? Yeah. Like, you know, when you're, or if you're very emotional or whatever, you know, like I don't argue as well in French as I do in English, yeah, yeah, right? That's interesting. And you're in a crisis situation. And what about all the immigrants who don't speak either one? Are you expecting, like, you know, I've worked in a hospital, eh? I used to work at the Jewish really? General as a nurse's aide for years. And, and you would regularly hear almost every night on the intercom, 
would someone speaking, you know, whatever Pashtun, whatever language, it was like every yeah. night, some other different language, to please come to in. emergency because we needed anybody, like if we, even if it was guy. a visiting family right. member or whatever, to to go and translate for a patient in emergency, usually. So is that going to be abrogated? On the well, you got to wonder, like, how crazy is that? And should that be the first thought of any healthcare worker going into yeah. a room and you know you, the patient doesn't, you can tell they don't speak English or French, and you're supposed to just say parlant français mm -hmm. instead of trying to communicate. Like you know, I learned how to say hello in many languages. I learned like you, you use sign language. You yeah. have to communicate with people. You shouldn't be having that in your head. Like, am I going to yeah. get punished? Well, there's yeah. I mean, it's, I, I suppose we could divide it from just you know the, the the emergencies from just for example your mother consulting the doctor when she just has an appointment. That's yeah. not an emergency necessarily yeah. I, i'm not saying yeah, that yeah, that should yeah. be in no, french but just saying. that would be so. something where I, i'm not sure if the law makes that distinction it might it might not. no it's your health you should be yeah. able to understand what's being said to you and there should be like you know like mm. I, it's just like this is policy that's crafted by people who can't possibly live in montreal right and isn't that a big problem with the cat because their base is not here they don't have to care about montrealers they really don't the city is the creation of the province. Yeah. They can do whatever they want with this city, with all of the cities. That's that's like just the way that this province is run. They can do what they like. They don't care. My impression of it is of just from a sort of stepping back and overview is that the CAQ has replaced the Parti Québécois of being the party that represents the people outside of the Montreal area. Right? When I was younger, it was always the... You know, when the PQ was in power, it was very, very same dynamic of people in, here in the city being mm -hmm. very suspicious of the. Except in those days, there was a separatist thing that was part of it. But the CAQ, and in recent weeks, months, many of my fellow Anglophones have been making the claim that, that Francois Legault is in fact a separatist. And I don't know how to think about that because... You know, I don't know what that means. Is he, is he some sort of secret plan? To, it's very, very sort of conspiratorial. To me. You probably heard this, right? Well, that I mean, he's a former secret, separatist. He, he was. He was a peak pickist. And he yeah. is a nationalist. Like, he's yeah. pretty clearly, you know, you can see who he's, who he's uh, trying to appeal to. But if he's a secret separatist, I don't know. I've heard people saying this. Really? I've had friends who say this. Yeah, that he's, he's sort of secret. That this Bill 96 is part of sort of a longer-term plan. Which, I don't really know how to think about that. I'm not sure how to situate that. But, but I did want to think about this this concept of getting services in the language that you desire. So I just had a, a little anecdote about that. My um, some friends of ours are from Argentina. My wife is a Latina, so we're very connected, and we have friends that she works for at a daycare. And um, this woman, she goes to get. Um, vitamin injections you can get and for reasons that are too complicated for me to understand these vitamin c injections were not allowed in quebec i'm not sure if it was the college de medecines of quebec or if it was santé quebec or something it was just not allowed so she was going to ottawa for and then and then uh, more recently she found a place in cornwall ontario which is closer so she would go and and the recently I, I drove her, she couldn't her husband couldn't take her, so I took her. So we were talking. And she doesn't speak English. She speaks Spanish, obviously, and French with some so we were driving there and she told me that when she went to Ottawa, the people there were super nice. They served her in French, didn't 
no worries at all. In fact, I think they may have been French Canadians, the nurses. She told me an interesting story when she went to Cornwall. She went into the clinic the first time, and the woman served her in French and was kind. And I asked if it was a French Canadian. She said, no, no, I think it was an Anglophone. She spoke with an accent. And then she went back again a month later to do the treatment again, and the same woman indignantly refused to speak to her in French, which was interesting, right? Weird. It is weird, isn't it? And I, and I was sort of scratching my head, you know, thinking, why would this be? And then and then as I, after, um, it struck me a few days later, it could be, because this was recently, that the woman was following the news, and, it, you know, Cornwall's close to Quebec, and thinking, you know, our people in Quebec, you know, the Anglophones are being put upon, so why, you know, screw anyone, even even though the, the person coming through the door has a heavy Spanish accent, it's still somebody from Quebec, and they're speaking French, right, so you can kind of take it out on them. I don't know if that is it true. Could very well yeah, be. you know. I'm sure, but, I'm, but you know, and that's what's so gross about language wars, isn't it? It gets stupid. Did you hear about the, the brioche incident in Westmount? No. So, oh no, this made the quite a number of papers. <laughs> There's just some uh, some uh, uh, coffee shop in Westmount that's owned by a French guy from France who, uh, you know, was the subject of, a, of an email that got widely circulated, um, written by uh, an offended Anglophone customer uh, because she felt that, you know, he was doing too much of the parlant français thing and he ended up having to defend himself. And it was like, it was like really mountain out of molehill, but like this kind of thing. This is in West now? Yeah. It's an odd Like just place. a woman going in and, and I, I think she was upset because he asked her if he wanted her brioche chauffé. He said chauffé. And, she and she, I guess she didn't understand or whatever. And then he's like, "Mais on parle français, si. he and, said he's something like that. and he's from France. And he's from France. And he said something that rubbed her the wrong way. <laughs> and and yeah, and, and like it was, it's this big incident, and there were wow. a bunch of Anglophones calling for his place to be boycotted. Wow. Interesting. It, 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 this is so, the sort of thing I always hated. It. Yeah. I always yeah. hated this. Going back to the nineties, I never understood well, that, how yeah, that, off and like yeah, you're going to yeah. go protest for the apostrophe sign on Eaton's. Like it was a lot of energy. I never went to any of that. No, stuff neither did I. I, I. I never. I never understood I, the whole you know, anger about yeah. it. And you know, it, it, uh, and you're right. It is a reignition of all of those old things. Like if in fact this clinic in Cornwall is doing that that's kind of like back in the, in the 80s and 90s that that you know that the, you remember when the, the guy in, in ontario was brockville or whatever stomped on the quebec flag do you remember that? this is around the meach lake thing and then it just was circulated turned yeah. into this huge thing where people in quebec were just you know with reason i think in some sense but i mean they perhaps you know perhaps an overreaction mm -hmm. it was one guy you mm -hmm. know but uh, but yeah i mean all of that was going on in those days so, how many of these things are the other thing I wanted to mention about this um, is that if you're an immigrant coming in here, it's all very foreign to you. Like when I was talking to my my wife's boss and our friend Ada in the car about I I, I was talking about this Bill ninety six and she didn't know what it was. She just she was like, "What's this?" And, and I said, "Well, there's this language law. Have you heard about this?" And she said, "No, I don't know." <laughs> I guess, right? You know, like I don't know what it is. So I explained, I explained it to her some of the things about. And when I explained the thing about healthcare, 
an interesting thing where I said if, a, if you know, if a, a person comes in and they're not a quote-unquote historic Anglophone, then they, they have to be, uh, the doctor has to speak in French. She immediately, it was interesting, she, she immediately said, that's, that's not terrible. It kind of immediately, her sense of sort of individual dignity was, you know, and she has no dog in this fight. Right? Yeah. This is a person from Argentina who's looking at this country. She's been here for, you know, maybe 30 years or something, but... Um, from a very different lens, from the way you yeah. or I might look at it, being embedded in, in the well, I'm a child of immigrants, though. Eh? So am I, I do have a weird, yeah. <laughs> I do have a weird perspective. Like it is, although I mean, I think I've just been here so long yeah. that I mean, I'm Canadian, yeah. you know, and or whatever Quebecer, depending <laughs> on the on the context, right? I mean, I would, but I, would you're, but I can just as easily call myself a Quebecer or a Montrealer, like it's part of my identity. Right. I decided to stay. I didn't follow all my friends down the four hundred one. Yeah. So that's all I did through my twenties was going away parties. Oh, where are you going, buddy? Oh, good. Got your degree. Bye. It was nice knowing you. They were all going, really? yeah. and I just I chose to stay here. I love it here. Why would I stay here if I didn't love? That's I I, know, I, I think place. yeah I think you've touched on something really interesting that the the, the the we went through this before with the the bill 101 and the first referendum and all that stuff and and so a lot of people who left were I think the first round that happened then people who left were people who really kind of either maybe they didn't speak any French at all and they didn't want to learn it they were very you know that seemed to be a common thing I remember talking to a guy in Toronto once and he he was like a working guy, you know, from Montreal. And he was, he's, he's like a construction guy. And he kept, he was, and I said, oh, you're from Montreal. You left Montreal. He's, he said, yeah, you know, uh, every time I go and apply for a job, they, you know, they, they ask, uh, oh, do you speak French? And I say, no. And I said, no, that's all. You know? And he was sort of talking about it like it was so unfair. And I was thinking like, it's kind of like 80% of the population speaks that language, you know. So he left. And I'm not blaming. It's just that it, it's. But you wonder it's happening again now. Or is this round? Is this round two? Why is it going on? I don't really understand. Well, you don't. You don't yeah. see it as a distraction for from the Could mismanagement be. of the last. Is that, is that what you years? think it is? So yeah. Coming up, and that's what they're going with. That and five hundred bucks. It's a nice way to find out someone's salary. I won't ask you. But yeah. <laughs> but actually, I, you know that I know I know people who who. Got that money and made a nice donation to the PCQ. Oh, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so you think it's just purely a, a, a this way of diverting attention away? So yeah. Could yeah, be. I think it could so. Well, be. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. there are enough nationalists within that government that that you know absolutely hundred percent think this is the right thing to do. But yeah, it's an election year, and that's a yeah. nice way to to uh, to. Uh, Kind of, you know, get bring your base along. Like, here we go now. This is what we're doing now. And well, that's what these signs that, that I see around town, like, you know, uh, let's say uh, Le Bilan, you know, it's kind of like Bilan in French means like when, when you when you do like a report for what you've done. It's like a report card kind of word, you know. And that seems that seems to speak to what you're saying. They're sort of saying to the voters, look, we said we were going to deal with this and we... Right, uh, and so we have because they're not going to yeah. talk about you know the coroner's report yeah. and how they euthanized people in the old age homes, right? Like they're not going <laughs> to yeah. be talking. Not going to be talking about people left, uh, you know, in their own feces. Yeah, 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 yeah that's interesting. That. The COVID nineteen madness has been. You're right. That's um, 
Well, I mean, what went on in the nursing homes, and that's actually when I really started paying attention to Eric Duhame. So it so happened I was following him on Facebook, and there was that first spring of COVID, and we had all of these horrifying stories coming out from the nursing homes. Nursing homes, and I read the. Did you read the military report? Some I heard about it. Can you describe some of the main findings of it? It's really hard to read. But, I mean, it's, it was just the reports, and there was a military report for uh, Ontario, but they found in the nursing homes there, and one and one for Quebec. It's publicly available. I can send it to you if you want. And it's Do worse. You read that? It's, like, just details of how people were found, like, staff totally abandoning people, and, wow. you know. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's horrible stories coming out of there. And who was writing about this? It was actually Eric Duhame. And he, and, and yeah. just because I was following him, I, I was seeing what he was writing. And he early on used the word hecatome, les hecatomes, in, the, in the, the nursing homes. And he seemed to be asking a lot of questions that I didn't understand why the media wasn't asking Legault any of this stuff. Like, mm. what actually happened? That was the bulk of the COVID numbers. And or, people yeah. died of dehydration. They were they were dying with COVID, but they died because they were abandoned. Wow. And we've never addressed that. This is like a that's interesting. Yeah, that's blood a on their scandal. Hands, yeah, that's a real scandal. And they have not addressed that. So, so, so we saw. So we saw when the COVID thing hit. If many people have made this point you're making, which is that it exposed these weaknesses in the in the the health the, the healthcare system, right? Seems to be what you're saying, especially for the, for old age, and those numbers have never. You're right; they've never returned. That initial wave. That was it, the bulk of the, of the probably, deaths. Probably, the, yeah. yeah. I'm not sure of the numbers, but but from you know what March 2020 to you know the six months following that was probably. Yeah, that's probably what it is. It's probably a diversionary tactic. I, I don't know. Um, on the other hand, they do. They do have somewhat, like, if I step back for just a minute and I think about the French language and the English language, I try and think, I'm always trying to think when I hear the charge that English is becoming more prominent in Quebec and in Montreal, I always think, is it true, you know? And I think, well, when my mom came here from the United Kingdom in the 1950s, clearly English was more dominant in those days. And, you know, it was we were all British and everything and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so there's that, but then there is some anecdotal evidence that English is becoming more prevalent on the island. I don't know if if you you know. I'll just give you a couple of examples. Um, people talk about this, you know, when when the delivery guys come to my door here. Uh, I'm here, and my wife is here. Then they're usually like Indian or Pakistani, right? They drive the Amazon trucks, or they drive the you know, and. They very often speak only English, and and also sometimes I will speak to them in French deliberately, and then I won't change to English just as a sort of experiment, see what they do, you know. And I've never, and they're not rude; they're just, you know, here's your package, you know, they give you a package. But I've never had one of them ever say something like, "I'm sorry, I don't," you know, in English. I can't speak French. Here's your package. I haven't had time to learn. I've only been here for six months, and so it makes me think like. They're not getting the memo that there's this, you know, that for some people would be very, I mean, it, it's sort of offensive to me and I'm not even French Canadian, you know what I mean? And I think if someone were, you know, a person worried about the French language and a, a French Canadian 
background that would be and i've heard francophones say this i've heard them say this and so you think is there anything there or is that just us being closed-minded to immigrants i, I don't know you know what i mean like i'm not sure how to think i don't about know that. i don't know the numbers but yeah. um but it, it just i just yeah. will always repeat let's let's teach the language better yeah you know let's just yeah. do a better job of, of yeah. teaching the language reaching people and 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 yeah. giving them the opportunity to learn it and especially if they're going through the school system so an interesting story. Uh, they shut down the schools, right? Two years ago, they shut down the schools. And here, here I am, with my husband and our kid, trying to How figure old is out. Your daughter? How old is so she's, she's going to be nine this be year. Okay. Uh, so she was in grade one. So it's the end of wow. grade one, wow. and everything gets shut down. And she's in the uh, school in the EMSB, the English Montreal School Board. So six weeks later. We get an email from the EMSB with some study guides. Like there was nothing. Yeah, for six right? weeks. Wow. There was nothing. And uh, you know, it was and it was it actually took a while even just to get the school books, right? Because if you're all any any book that your kid had to have in the school, school were right. still in the school. Because they couldn't get in the school right? to get them. Yeah. And uh, and it was crushingly hard to find even the curriculum for French wow. for that grade. Like what are the expectations? Just so I know what are, what are what are they supposed to know for verbs and you know, like what are the expectations? Wow. And my husband did so much research and trying to find some kind of guidance and there was nothing wow. that he could find from the Quebec government on how to teach your child French. Like there was nothing. So he was using educational online resources from France oh because gosh. they understand how to teach French as a second language. There is no approach from the government that we could find anyway that helps parents to teach French as a second language. They wow. don't understand the concept even that's, on that like it was there was nothing we so this really was floating so, around so let me understand this because you know so you were at home for six weeks before anything happened before so we got anything any, from the school yeah. and so and there's this one day where i heard my husband he's got his office with a bolt okay so there's a bolt on the door dad's in his office he's working right, you know right. that's the that's the house i live in he's got to because he's with three women You've got to bolt the right. door and do. every so often I'll know if he's upset with something he's reading could be anything because you start to hear the, the yeah. pounding you know it doesn't okay. happen too often but yeah. man that that day when he got the email from the EMSB he with really the, with the recommended online uh, you know help to to you know resources and like it was like a lot of banging and some kind of screaming so he finally wow. comes out and what did they Sand was a bunch of links to things like PBS Kids and CBC Kids and huh. like all all of this stuff that he had researched and rejected as being ridiculous, like stupid. Yeah. You know, where's the math? Like, what is the math I'm supposed to teach in grade one in Quebec? You know. So it's not. It's, there, it was. It was a total joke, and we wow. realized we were completely on our own. Wow. And wow. and you know yeah that's why I think that's why grade two was so hard for you and like kids. I was saying for yeah. the math like why why did she do so poorly is because she was home for six seven months with Anglo's yeah. <laughs> and, and we she, tried right, right we really tried yeah like, I'm telling yeah. you he was buying books from France 
to teach her French. This is something that is really interesting. Uh, first of all, I should just say that in, in our case, we, we were shut down. It was like, okay, we'll get back next week. And then after that week was up, I sent another email saying, okay, we should be back next week. And after two weeks, it became clear that, because I'm a teacher in the, in the Sejap system. And so there were, there were frantic meetings going on between the, the union representatives and the, the, uh, you know, the administrators of the, of the Sejap of what to do. And there was a union, sort of an emergency union meeting. And I wasn't actually, it was a Zoom thing. And it was interesting because I wasn't there, but a colleague told me that there was a split. Some people thought that, you know, we need to adapt and get the Zoom thing. No one knew how to use Zoom. And we were like, well, we got to start doing that. And then there was a significant group of people who were, you know, enraged. And they were, there was one guy who, um, I won't name him, but he was a person who's a teacher at my Sejap who was indignantly claiming we need, this is oppression to us and we need to shut the session down and just cancel the whole thing and everything. And the head of the union, Sylvie Demers, she's really, really good. She kept very quietly repeating, we are being paid. We have an obligation to finish the session. The students signed up. They signed up in their classes. We've done half of them. We should, we, you know, we have to do it, you know, which I was completely in favor of. And I, I, I adapted onto Zoom, figured out a system. I didn't enjoy it, but, um, but just to speak to the, 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 the split in attitudes of some people who, who, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sort of been appalled at the lack of, like, when I hear that colleague of mine saying that, does he not care about what the students they would just have like a an empty lost session that they would have got. Like, is that not important to him? That they, or or, or did, does he think that we should just give the credit for half a session? Like, I don't even understand. It, it's yeah. so immoral. Some it's like no, that's yeah. wrong. You you know you're a teacher. It's our job. We're supposed to yeah. teach people and give them and accredit them as well. And it sounds like you bumped into a six weeks is a very long time. We went three and we were back after three. Okay. Because um, that that was the there was a one week transition period. All this was all this took a full three weeks, and then yeah. we were up on Zoom. So I don't know. Um, I've heard other horror stories from uh, my brother lives in the U.S. and just of the unions and the teachers being completely, um, what's the word? Just seeming not to care that much about the you know. Yeah, I'm not you very know? impressed with the teachers' unions. So yeah. I'm going to be very quiet here. You're teachers. No, no. I, I, please don't. Uh... <laughs> like, I haven't been very impressed with any of them, yeah. honestly. Because yeah. like your your job is actually to take care of my kid. Yeah. Your job is to teach my kid. You know? And maybe maybe that sounds kind of mean. But I don't you're think more mean. worried. Like, you, you think it's okay to, to lock up little kids for months at a time. And and they there's absolutely nothing for them to do, and they can't see their friends. And you yeah. think that that's like you're doing that because you feel scared of getting a cold from a kid under your church. Like that shouldn't be your priority. It's so weird. What cult, what human civilization has survived? Yeah. That caring less about the, the children. children. Yeah. Well, not the protection, but the development. Like what what you're saying, because I agree with you, is that there was a prioritization done for the elderly at the expense of very yeah. young children. I wanted to just say something quickly about that. the The effects of the lockdowns on perhaps your daughter and many other young kids, I think, 
I think we're just starting to see that now. I, I, I've written an article about this that I'm going to have published on Arts oh, and cool. Opinion. Yeah, because what I noticed when we came back was, I mean, first of all, during the, the pandemics when we were doing it on Zoom, the dropout rates were through the roof. I mean, in my classes, I would have a class of 29 students or something and like, you know, 15 of them would get go get incompletes or something. It was just like, and then wow. three more would fail. You know what I mean? It was like just incredible. And then after, what's more interesting is now that we're back in, I've noticed I've had like this past session, I've had several cases where students came to me and said, I'm having a panic attack. I can't stay in the class. And they would leave or they would email me. I had so many cases of, and I, I believe them. I don't think they're shining me on, but it tells me, if you take a 15-year-old or a 16-year-old who's already a little bit socially anxious and you lock that kid up for two years, that kid's going to be worse at the end of the two years when he goes back in with a bunch of kids, right? He's going to yeah. be more anxious. And this, I find, like, we don't know what the effects are going to be going forward. Has this scarred an entire generation of people or so, maybe a few generations? One of, my, one of our friends in, La, in Laval, ha, had a, one, he has two daughters and one was born during the pandemic. And so, um, you know, we would go over to visits, not that frequently, but during the pandemic, when we would go and the little, the baby that was born during the pandemic would just cry and cry and wail and scream. And it was more than anything we'd ever seen, more than the sister and everything. And Fanny said once, she said, she never sees anybody. She's in the house all the time. Nobody ever comes in. So she never sees any, she doesn't go to daycare. She, you know what I mean? So the only people she ever sees are her parents and her sister, right? And then her grandfather, you know, um, who's German, by the way, interestingly. But, um, and so it's, and so you wonder, has she been scarred by that? She was, you know, she's now about two and a half or so, two years old, right? But, you know, I don't know how deep this is running. I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah, and and what it, I think the lessons as we move towards closing, I think we the lesson that I would take is people who rush to do these lockdowns. I think they, that that message should be our message that be careful because the the next generations are important, right? They sure are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very good at remembering numbers, but I do actually remember this. I'm just trying to remember where I read it. But apparently in Ontario, like it's come out, they've they've studied the effects of shutting down the schools. Oh, is that right? Really? And how, uh, how shutting down the schools uh, actually affected COVID uh, infection rate. And it was uh, 0.08. Wow. Something like that. That's so like that's, really, that's it low. Did, it did it had no effect. Yeah. It did nothing. Wow. It just Amazing. destroyed a bunch of kids. <laughs> and we will we'll find out how screwed up they really are. Yeah. You know? Well, I know that my 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 brother has three children. He lives in California. And those schools, California is very left-leaning, you know, blue Democrat. And the schools will close forever. Yeah. They will close for almost a full two years. And my one of my nieces is about fifteen now, and she went through a very, very difficult period of depression, and uh, you know she was very depressed, and you know, and all this, and and I remember, and my brother and his ex wife were just enraged, and at one point he was telling me how the teachers were like, at one point she didn't show up for the Zoom thing in the morning, the teacher sent this snippety little email, like, you know. Your daughter was not in the class, you know. And then so my brother sent me this email that his ex-wife had sent back, like basically saying, 
you lazy fuck. You haven't been in the class, and my daughter's depressed. I mean, she put it in a kind of a snippety yeah. way, like, you know. And my she's now depressed and sitting in her room. So it's like it's on you that she's not coming in, basically, you know. And so, how many of these cases are? There's probably yeah. a lot of this going on. Oh, I know right? so many parents like that. We just yeah. quietly exchange stories here and there. I know, like yeah. people who've gone yeah. through a lot with their kids, suicide attempt, and Jesus, like yeah. fourteen. It's really God. Yeah, I mean, th these are things that I mean. Because this is, I mean, just to think about our priorities. I mean, your mother's, a, she said she's 87. Right? So yeah. she's an important person, obviously, to you. And, you know, but if you had to, like, if you were in a lifeboat, right? I mean, this is a horrible thing to think about. And you had your daughter and your mother. I mean, obviously, your daughter would be. Do you know what I mean? Like, like My mother wouldn't a, have it any other way, though. Like, so this is the thing. So do you I mean, know what I mean? Like, like, we have to think your daughter's more important because she's only nine, right? My it's mom just, made know. it very easy for me. That woman lived through World War II, okay? <laughs> she made it super easy for me. So when they first shut this school down, <laughs> she already was having dementia there. So, like, you know, every morning you get pretty much the same story for a few weeks until she moves on to another story. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah, right, okay. right. And so, but, like, so every day, kid come into the kitchen and my mom look at her why is the child not oh, in school right. mommy they locked down the schools why would they lock down the schools coronavirus mommy and after a couple of weeks i don't know if i can swear on this but it was like effing coronavirus mommy yeah, yeah. you know yeah. like it was getting annoying but she didn't she wasn't registering is it made no sense that they that they, they, they would shut down schools for a, for a virus Right, so then, right. so, so, so I would say, mommy, it's because of coronavirus. Oh, that's insane. They're insane. And then it came out and I have the story memorized the last year of the war. So she was the oldest of seven and they were in a port city in the North. So there were frequent, uh, air raid, uh, sirens, like almost every night towards the end and they would have to run to the bomb shelter. So that last winter, they have no coal. They've got no food. They're running every night. To this the is in Germany shelter. at the end of World this, War Two, yeah, right? Yeah, and, wow. and all seven children had the whooping cough, okay. and their their mom had to like try to suppress her seven children coughing, and the, it's called whooping cough because you go <gasps> every time you cough as you're taking wow. in your breath. So it's very loud, and they're not supposed to be making noise in the bombshell. So they were hiding under blankets night after night, coughing all winter long. Wow. Yeah. And then, Tanya, we had to go to school the next yeah. day, and we didn't have anything to eat. And our shoes didn't fit us well. We all have deformed feet. Apparently, that whole generation of Germans has deformed feet. Is that right? Getting yeah. squished into wow. bad fitting shoes. And yeah. and we didn't have any books, Tanya. We had nothing to eat, and we were coughing all day long, and we had to memorize the lessons, right, you know. Right. And they, they never shut down the school in war, like, no matter what Germans was going wouldn't on. do that. Good for them. But no yeah. humans, have, like, what human society has actually shut down their children's lives? Well, that's a good question. I mean, it, it occurred to me while you were talking that during the Spanish flu, there were some um, closures. I think so, yeah. 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 This, it, 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 it brings up the question of how serious the disease is and the spanish flu was a far deadlier disease as far as i can tell just by mm -hmm. the death rate right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so that's a good that's a that's an empirical question how many people are dying before you you say we have to shut down and mm -hmm. i think not enough i, I don't think but it was like that, yeah i mean i mean you know? so but that was a story i heard from my mom every right. day and then and <laughs> she would ask but why why tanya why are they doing this and i said well mom it's to protect your age group yeah and she said, I won't have any part of that. 
Not on me. She needs to be in school. And it really infuriated That's touching. Her. Yeah, that's and she true. said, when it's my time to go, I'm, God's going to come and get me, no matter what it is. Like, she's what? 87 now, so it was two years ago. But, like, you know. So, she, that so was, she, she that's very touching. Very easy so she's, she's basically saying, I recognize my life is not as important as my granddaughter. I don't right. know if it's a matter of importance. It's just a matter of, like, yeah. your priorities. Yeah. Your priorities. You know. That's very touching too. So, so you could try and imagine a parallel world where we were less crazy. What we might do is we might say, okay, um, we've got a person at risk, an eighty-five-year-old woman living in a house with a with a you know a, a young seven-year-old, right? So when the seven-year-old comes home, she just doesn't go into grandma's room and, well, and you know or something and have a wash, you know, or uh, you know. Stay, we've always done this anyway right, because she right. was always vulnerable. Protect my mom was always vulnerable anyway. Right. Right? She's yeah, a cardiac yeah. condition. Like any oh, cold, okay. so any. Yeah. And, and we've been living together since my daughter was 10 months old. So, I mean, we've always been careful that she stay downstairs. You come in, you wash your hands right away. When she comes home from school, uniform is off. Mm-hmm. You know, you wash your hands and then you go and you say hi to grandma, you know. And like, you know, if she's drooling with a cold, you don't go and kiss grandma. <laughs> But I had people asking me, like, Tanya, how do you do it? You know, like, you're sending your kid to school. Are you sure you're not going to pull her out of school? Because she's, every day, she's, you know, she's putting her grandma at risk. And people were even asking me when the school started up again in September, does your daughter wear a mask at home? Like, why would I do that? Yeah, yeah. You know, we just, so we just went, we had to go zen. Early on, right? And just be like, you know, whatever gets us, gets us. And whatever, like, what you know, in the end, it's it going to come into our home or it won't. And my mom will keel over or she won't. Yeah. But, like, you can't. So you there's can a, it's, it's, you it's can't not a bravery, but exactly. There's, there's a kind of an acceptance of risk and not letting fear dominate your existence it sounds like a case you're making right exactly yeah we used to be chased by dinosaurs well not dinosaurs well whatever yeah yeah woolly mammoth and lions and all that the savannah like life used to be fraught with danger and there were no guarantees i don't understand why we think that the government owes us like that they have to keep us safe like that's even the government's job I, I like how this is, as we get towards the end, that you've brought it back to that. You brought it back to the idea that the government, it's not the government's job to keep me or you from dying, right? At least from a disease. Is that, yeah. I mean, we could we could discuss like the role yeah. of government and the healthcare system and, and you know, Go- should, there, should there, should there, well, the, the reason, exclusively yeah. <laughs> public delivery of, of services and et cetera. We can have that discussion, but like, really, they're like, I think I got that impression that there were people who really thought, well, the government's got to do, they've got to do something. People right, are right, sneezing. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, and <laughs> yeah. like, what, what was like their that. one job? <laughs> Was was to keep the healthcare system right. going and, they screwed and that to one take up. care of our yeah. elders. It was their one job yeah. in yeah. in a health crisis, you know. And they they miserably failed. And like yeah. it's just, I don't see how anything that they've done in the last couple of years has actually benefited our collective health. On the mm. contrary, right? Like drug abuse is up. Uh, is it uh, yeah. drug abuse? Yeah. yeah. I, I know that that crime has been rising all over North America, including here in Montreal. Yeah. Violent crime has been up. So I don't know whether that's the government's fault. I don't know well, if there's a connection there. Well, obviously they should have taken yeah. away all the guns a long time ago and, and 
kitchen knives should be yeah. used with You're extreme being caution. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. illegal, guys. Like most of the crime committed in other Just so people from, don't from don't actually think you're proposing that kitchen knives should be uh, taken. <laughs> but like. Well, it's interesting because the, the governments, if you go back, the reason governments have arisen over our, you know, uh, human history of governments in the modern sense of empires and modern states is security, mm-hmm. is security, right? So internal security, less important than external. So the idea of having a protection from outside invasion. So there is, it sounds a little weird, it is kind of the government's job to keep us safe to some extent. So it's not totally crazy to think if there's a crisis that the you know the government would be where people would look because that's what like let's say the country was being invaded from the outside okay, who would we look to right it's uh, the question is how we do that and also the severity of the threat i think you and i are looking at this and trying to place the covid threat on on a threshold of how serious is that threat is it is it a threat that i should be you know hiding in my basement you know is it as much of a threat as you know bombs coming down onto I mean, obviously not, right? Okay. Um, before we close, is there any other um, words of inspiration you want to tell people about the, you know, the you're, you're very interested in political organizing? Any? Well, you should know I yeah. did quit the Conservative Party you did? of Canada last, okay. yeah, in, in okay. anger and frustration with uh, Aaron O'Toole's uh, leadership really? last January. Really? Yeah, okay. I, I really dragged my feet rejoining in part because I wouldn't want to give $15 to any party that would consider having Jean Charest for a leader. Was wow. like, that was really hard to drag my feet, but yeah. So I, I don't see myself going back really to volunteering, but that would be maybe a, another yeah. another conversation yeah. of, of why. But I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm going to pay attention to Eric Duhame and see what I can do, just yeah. locally, just help the candidate, you know. I, I think I think people knows. outside Quebec don't understand the uh, how seriously people dislike Jean Charest in Quebec. I think people I think people in other parts of the country kind of don't really get that. Uh, and so I don't, they I, remember him. They remember the throwing around his passport, you yeah, know, in right. 1995. It was cute, eh? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Nice he did that so long ago. Right. Yeah. But I mean, what just did he it, do since? Like, yeah. Well, he became gross, you know prime man. minister of Quebec, and he, and then of course he he became um, notorious for being you know at the end of his tenure a big corruption scandal that broke yeah. out, and he was more or less chased out of power at the student strikes some some years ago. So. I don't really understand the, the Conservative Party of Canada. I think would be making a big mistake if, they, in as much as they want to make inroads in French Canada, that would be a big mistake. I, think. I don't see how you he know? would be able to do that. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. I, I, that's what I'm saying. He's hated. <laughs> that's you know? what I'm saying. Not by everybody, but I mean, he's hated by a lot of people. I don't see the logic in that. You know? So a more inspirational yeah. message might be something like the Bernier Poilievre idea that I am a free. Uh, Canadian and you're a free Canadian we'd like to promote those that idea that people that it's good we're part of this country that's a good country and we want to make we want to continue its development and the and people come here because it's a free country right that's something that we could probably uh, definitely say is an inspirational I hope it's an inspirational to other Canadians yeah absolutely I hope so the yeah. smallest minority on earth is the individual. That's true. That's true. Okay. Well, on that note, thank you for being a part of uh, uh, the Megaglass podcast. I've really enjoyed this. Me too. I had a lot of fun. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. 
This Mega Blast podcast has been brought to you by Arts and Opinion, an online journal permanently housed in the archives of Canada. The address www.artsandopinion.com.